one. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy, and we are powering through to the very, very last few episodes of the show before we say goodbye. And of course, you guys have a wonderful final episode coming through as well. If you have been a fan of the show as well, over the time, please rate, review, and subscribe as always. And let's begin. So today, my guest is the one and only Polly Bateman. Now, Polly and I actually got introduced through a friend of mine on LinkedIn. And before I knew it, we got into a half an hour phone call, which turned into a 90 minute phone call where we both just had a huge laugh about everything there is to do with life, uh, business and everything in between. Um, And there will be some references to that during the show, as you will. Um, With that being said, welcome, Polly. Hey, welcome to the show today. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. You're very welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, just real quick before we get begin, as one of the very last things we do on the show, and the very first things we do on the show, please rate, review, and subscribe as always, but head on over to thepollybateman.com. Get onto her call list. I guarantee you right now, if you are the type of entrepreneur or type of person that really feels like they're stuck, no matter how much they've done, she's the person to talk to because she knows her shit about this because believe it or not, she was that same person. So how do you deal with it? You deal with it yourself and you help others. Life, it's circular. So we'll jump into that straight away. And I'm going to ask right off the bat, what was the thing that basically made you go, holy crap, I'm stuck? <laughs> 2016. Okay. Um, it, was, it was an interesting year for a lot of people. Um, I, I've, I've seen songs written about it, slagging it off, saying it was really a challenging year for lots of people. What but I about this that- year? <laughs> Well, these things come in cycles, as we said, but yeah, it was, it was a moment in time where just the straw that broke the camel's back, yet another thing happened that made me think my life doesn't work. And I'd been a coach for 11 years at that point. And Mm -hmm. prior to that worked within an organization that was solely contracted to the military in a kind of welfare role with them in a tri-service welfare role, which had been really fascinating and interesting and had done a lot of official training with me then and it had felt very natural to move on into being a coach and I knew I was a good coach and I don't mean that arrogantly to anybody that might hear that like oh really that's what you thought of yourself I just knew I'd got to a level of expertise oh by the way just full disclosure on my show now fucking own your greatness this is what we do here I don't go around saying I'm the greatest copywriter to do what I do (laughs) without like seriously I quote KRS one all the all the time which is like I'm so like uh, what's called uh, I'm so I was like, uh, oops, sorry, I lied. I'm not number one. I'm number one, two, three, four, and five. So <laughs> own that shit. That is basically how we do things. I butchered a KRS one lyric. I know no one told KRS because I don't want to get my ass whooped when I go to New York. But continue on, please. Own your great. Yeah, yeah. So I basically had got to a point, and I think what I was trying to say was rather than actually dumb down anything about myself, it was more that I knew I was a solid coach. You know, I knew I was good. Um, I knew that I could shift people. I'd walked people out of situations where they'd dealt with great trauma and, and, and things like domestic abuse and rape. And I managed to walk them out of those traumatic memories and, and have them have a different space for themselves. But I also knew there was more. And, you know, it was like it, occasionally things would kind of wisp past me like a lovely smell and move on in the wind, like the opportunity to work on television or the opportunity to have my own show and stuff like that. And it would just, as I said, just drift past me. I'd see it coming and go, oh my Lord. And then on it would go, sailing on by. And I got that in some way that was in my space. That was kind of my story. And I got super interested in, okay, why does my life not work? And, and in 2016, just so you know, I'd ended up very alone. My only child had gone off to boarding school because we were a fully mobile family. And, you know, there are lots of opinions about boarding school. Very happy to dive into that if anybody ever wants to question it, because it was a very uh, measured decision that we took. Yeah. And my husband went away for a whole year to the Middle East because he's military. Dis- uh, location kind of undisclosed. And he was a busy person. Mm-hmm. Now, while he was living his vacation and, and doing something that for him was really important to bring peace to the world and stuff like that. I was locked in a lonely village that sits halfway between Swindon and Oxford, feeling like I didn't really know anybody. In fact, I didn't. I didn't know my neighbours. This was a new patch. We'd just arrived. Yes, I was close by to my son's school, so I could basically stalk him uh, and then see him as often as I wanted. But at the same time, I didn't have any mates around there. And my family 
were all the way up in Scotland. And through that year, a couple of other things happened. You know, it's, it's almost comedic, actually, when you look back. The dog got mm-hmm. cut and died. The cat got nicked or stolen or, or killed. Something happened to him. He just never came home. And uh, and my mother-in-law died. And there were some really challenging circumstances around that. And she was the only person that was co-located. And, and our relationship was lovely, but we weren't in each other's pockets either because yeah. um, she was a very independent lady. And she very much let, reached out when she needed something. Anyway, the whole thing just came to a head and I was like, shit, my life doesn't work. Uh, And I need to do something about that. So I reached out to a seven figure earning coach because I've definitely got balls. And I went, what am I missing? Talk to me about what I'm missing here. And we spent two hours having a deep dive into me, which was incredibly generous of him. And he said at the end, Polly, you just haven't been deep enough. And it was so freaking annoying because I knew it was right. Oh, you know what? I'm going to jump in right there because I know exactly what you're dealing with. You have, and by the way, for anyone else that's going through this, I'm going to level with you on two separate things. You will feel this continually in your life, especially if you're brilliant at what you do, by the way. If you're brilliant at what you do, actually there's three conditions you'll have. The uncertainty and doubt that you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Like that is never going away. Just an FYI. In fact, it's the thing that keeps making you great. It's because you don't know that you're great. You just got to keep going to prove it. And you're like, I'm never resting on my fucking laurels because every day someone's going to say I'm not and I don't want that to happen. So that's one. Two, uh, (laughs) you will go through a time in your life where you will literally, uh, I don't know if you're religious. I am, that's for me. But like for me, it's literally come down to the point you're like, seriously, God, any more? Like, seriously, no more. I'm done. No more. Oh, shit. You're going to throw one more at me? God damn. Seriously? You're going to have that. And there is a lesson in that. I want that I, if it's cool with you uh, as well, because I'm interviewing you. But there is um, a, a reframe that I really want to give people on that second point, because uh, I've been using it. It's been really powerful. And the third, it will piss you off when you realize how simple the answer is. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. If, if, it, if it doesn't <laughs> piss you off, you're not close enough. Because the thing is, it will literally be like, seriously. Can someone just tell them what the answer is? And they're like, oh, yeah, I haven't gone deep enough. Or you haven't done this. And, you, and I don't know about you. If you have this, when someone says something like that, you're like, yeah, but what's the answer, though? What do you mean by not deep enough? They're like, you've got to figure that out. It's like, no, but I don't know which direction I'm in. Well, you know, I walked away from that conversation feeling taller. I remember walking down the street so so touched. He'd given me so much time and attention. And, and actually, I have an unfinished conversation with that particular dude that I, I want to go back one day and say, you're the coach that kind of never coached me. Everything he did in that space, like lasted over. It was a powerful conversation that lasted a couple of years. And I grew from it as I kind of took what he, what he did give me. But you're absolutely spot on because what I recognized is I don't know why I do what I do, think what I think and feel the way I feel. It just is what Polly does, thinks and feels. And that's not a good enough reason for someone like me who's super curious. I'm like, hang on a minute. You know, I could have been adopted by a Chinese family and grown up speaking Chinese and I would have had a completely different set of muscles in my mouth as a result. I would have spoken and thought differently because of the culture and the speaking. So there is a reason why I do what I do and think what I think and feel what I feel. And Mm -hmm. I need to get down and dirty with that reason because it's driving my life. And that's what I basically discovered. (laughs) That is very powerful. I'm going to like touch upon that for two separate things. The first... Actually, I'm going to go backwards in in reverse because they're both really good quotes. One is a lyric and the other one's a reframe. So the lyric specifically, it's from the 50 Cent song, Many Men. Mm. And it's literally, I used to love this lyric and I still do. It's like, um, he got hit like I got hit, but he he fucking breathing. It's like, um, there must be a a reason. There must be a real reason because he got hit like I got hit, but he ain't fucking breathing. It's like, yeah, you went through the same circumstances, but why are you still here? And you got to figure that out. Um, and that's powerful, by the way, as a driver, as a question to keep going forward with if you're at home taking notes. And the other, the reframe about like when you're going like, oh God, no more. Take it this way. Uh, so in, I know Christianity and definitely in Islam, I think it was in Judaism, but I could be wrong. Basically, there's a quote in uh, all three books that basically says that God will never give you more than your soul can bear. Like he will test you to the point of your soul. It will never be more than you can bear, but it will be right to the absolute max. The reframe I want you guys to have, and this is one that's been helping me a lot, it's, I don't know how strong I really am. And this is just proof to show me how strong I can really be. It's like, if you've gone through hell and back and you're like, oh shit, that's where I can withstand, nothing touches me. So like, try and reframe that in your head and you'll find a whole nother way of thinking about it. We never deal with anything that we can't actually handle. What we do is we bow out 
when it gets to a place where we can't handle it. We bow out and we block and we and we make it a blind spot as well. We'll only take on what we're ready and prepared to look at. And what was interesting was when I did this deep dive over the next 18 months and didn't see any clients at all, I literally just dove into what made Polly Polly is I discovered the kind of human coding that we go through as we grow and develop. And suddenly everything started to make sense in a whole new way. You know, and it was like, shit, I have to teach this. I have to share. In fact, teach was a secondary thought. Share was the first thought, because essentially when anyone's teaching anything, you're sharing knowledge. I have to share this with people because when I began to go, that's why I do that. Oh, wow. I get it now rather than think I was a fucktard because I didn't yep. do things the way I should, you know, and beat myself up. Yep. I began to have. Here's the really lovely thing. I began to have empathy for me. I began to see how I got there. So rather than negative self-talk, I had an understanding and a pathway that I could walk back down and I could rejig what I needed to rejig to walk up it differently. Okay, so I'm going to ask this question because I know this is, I know I've spoken to enough people about the same situation and we've all come, like you'll meet people along either in a similar place in their journey or somewhere else. You'll all have a similar question. So for them and for me, I'll ask this. Did you have a moment where you're just like, can I just quit everything? Like, did you ever have that moment where you're just like, it, the reason you wanted to quit wasn't because you were upset. It was, will I ever find a fucking answer? Like, did you ever get to that point? Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. So like, you got to that point and you got beyond that. So my question for you is like, when you started looking at those questions, that 18 month deep dive into yourself, what were you asking? Like, what were you doing in that time period? Well, it's it's not great, too much no, no, not at all. It's a really great question because, of course, these things don't unfold in the way that we then recount and summarize the story, right? You can no. look back and you've got perfect clarity with hindsight that isn't there in the moment. And there were moments where my marriage started to crumble right in front of me because I realized that I couldn't show up as I had been showing up. And I began to undo some of the things I'd created in that marriage. So it got worse before it got better on some levels, right? Yeah. Um, because you you start to, you're, you're thinking, you suddenly start to question your thinking. So I began to question my thinking. Like, what, how did I get here? Was the first question where I started. And why do I do and think and feel the way I do? And as it began to unfold, I began to see that I had created a life to fit with who I thought I was and what I thought I deserved. Now, the minute you start to see, oh, shit, I put me into this tricky situation. I have gone and re I mean, I recreated my childhood, for goodness sake, without even realizing it. And then I recognized I'd married my mother. And when we looked at it, my husband had married his father, you know, which Damn. was really weird but really like i mean sounds really odd right no no I, 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 I totally get that with like john d martini says that you tend to either marry the person that you don't like or want to be like there's like a thing with a parent and then your yeah. kids are basically the parts of you that you disown and you've got to learn how to love right 100 and i've worked with d martini so i love that man he's oh, yeah. so good so cool but you yeah. know this is exactly it when i suddenly thought you know what shit your disapproval the way you disapprove of me the way you talk to me your fucking eye rolls all those little huffy moments um the way you discount me and i and i i looked back all the way through our relationship and i remember it beginning there was a very defined moment where it happened first of all in public and i had shrunk into myself and felt shame I had felt ashamed. I had felt uh, naughty. I, and it was, it was I had gone back to being like a, a, a chastised 13-year-old sulking. And I was mad at him as well for speaking to me like that. But at the same time, I kind of felt dirty. Now, mm -hmm. that shame is, it, the shame didn't belong in the moment. Because if he ever spoke to me like that again, it would be a very different scenario. One would be like, dude, I don't know what you thought I was going to say, but back up back up and hear me out and I would do that in public and not as a way of embarrassing him there was definitely a point where I'd have said uh don't you dare speak to me like that but I, I don't even need to be that confrontational anymore right. it's just like back up you've got the you're going down the wrong track there and he basically stopped me saying what is something that he thought I was going to be inappropriate and I wasn't and and shut me up in front of everybody and that moment of shame where I just shut up and then I had like big tear filled eyes and I was like blinking down at my soup at a, a sort of uh, it was a silver service lunch that we were at feeling wow. mortified. So it was a really public scenario. And listen to people listening. My husband's a really nice guy. He did something because he thought he was protecting someone else's reputation. He thought mm -hmm. I was going somewhere. 
And the thing is, when you are, when you have no self-esteem or no self-worth or no self-confidence or a view of yourself, even that you are not to be trusted in some way or that there's something not right about you, him speaking to me like that didn't occur as not okay. Nope. It didn't occur as okay either. It was really fucking uncomfortable, oh, but no. it totally occurred as, oh shit, that's the shit that happens to me. Oh you yeah. Know, I'm you, dealing you, with it. You go back into the pattern somehow, instead of going from like, there's something not okay with this, instead of going, what's not okay with it? You're like, I'm not okay with this. Me, I'm the problem here. This is an issue right. to do with me. 100%. So in, immediately you kind of like take it from the situation, internalize it immediately and run through the same program. Yeah, and actually, you know, for people out there who this might be resonating with, one thing I want you to all get is that what happens is your habitual pathway, your, your habitual habits and your neural pathways take over. So your behavior takes over and it's so there for you. It's like the air today. How's the air? Unless it's shitty, you wouldn't know, right? It's just right. there. You don't feel it on your face because it's just there. And the point is that that behavior is so there for you, you just fall into it without even knowing. So, you know, we do things like we'll say, we say stuff like, yeah, that's just not my cup of tea. I just don't like things like that. But like I said, it's never just your cup of tea. It's coding. It's like you got coded through your experiences that had you say that about public speaking or going to fairgrounds or, you know. Talking to that person that you want to talk to and ask out, that's a huge thing as well. I'm also going to say it's not also sometimes in words that you do it, it's in actions. Like I know one that's a trigger for me that I only found out about yesterday is whenever I'm in a high stress state, I will lose my temper over the dumbest thing. It's when I'm questioned on a thought, like if I've got someone that isn't even on my level, questioning me i immediately go into attack and i've just realized why that is and yeah like, and, that, and that's that's wiring right that's habitual yeah. wiring and we have to undo the wiring mm-hmm. now here's the here's the kind of relief for people to listen to the to, to this uh because i was like shit if this is how i'm wired am i stuck like this yeah and <laughs> that's the fear right it's like oh no this is my life and and that's used when some people are in depression and they believe that their life is this the depression is because all hope has gone at that point. Yeah. All hope of anything better, anything changed. There's no faith. There's no hope. There's no knowing. And they just want to check out. And, and, you know, it's like to really understand that that's where they're at and that's how bad it feels. That's when, you know, checking out becomes a better option than staying and yeah. working through it. So I, I never got quite to that point, but I definitely had um, I don't kind of really want to jump on the depression wagon because I no. feel that that's unfair to people who have been depressed. Definitely. I never needed support medically for depression, but I definitely was a depressed person, if that makes no. sense, in that that person was pressured down rather than pushed up in, in the world. I wasn't myself. I was quieter. I was withdrawn and, and internally sort of struggling with everything. But what I began to see was like when I got the moment and it was in a massive row one weekend, we'd spent the whole weekend rowing where I had said enough. I can't be like this anymore. And it fell out of my mouth. You married your fucking father and I married my fucking mother. You know, and it was as I said, it, I was like, oh, and I saw it land on my husband and I saw him go, oh, and we began to like as soon as you understand something about yourself, you can begin to deal with it. Yeah. Especially in the, if, okay, so two things. One, Americans, row means argument, if you haven't gotten the context, because I remember sometimes British words don't make it over to you guys. And secondly, that is profound, because the things you've also got to be in, and this is why I'd say that be careful with what you share with who, because sometimes you can show your vulnerability and your stuff, and it could be like, instead of being accepted and be like, huh, I'm having a profound moment, help me with this. It's like, I'm having a profound moment. I just got punched in the face. And it's like emotionally or physically or in any way whatsoever, you just feel like, wow, I cannot deal with this person's energy because instead of seeing it as I'm going through something, they're seeing it somehow as an internalized attack on them. Mm-hmm. So and I just want to also reframe something I said, you know, where I'm going, I married my fucking mother. You married a oh, yeah. fucking father. By the way, we both really loved our parents, yes. <laughs> you know, and actually my relationship and his relationship with his father who had passed by this point and my mother definitely still hasn't. But the point is, it's not that, it wasn't the relationship we had with them today. It was the relationship we had with them as children yep, when yep. we were disempowered and dominated. It was an old relationship with a parent. And of course, often when we marry somebody or begin a very significant relationship, even in a really cool friendship as well, yep. particularly in romantic relationships, the very things we begin working on 
is the very stuff that we waited till we found our person so we could start unpacking. Yep. So it yep. makes it really tough on relationships, right? Because you meet your person and you begin to unpack. <laughs> and the thing is, you've got to be aware of this. And this is one of the things that I always tell people. Please be open about who you are when you meet someone. Because the reality is it become, life becomes so much easier. I get the fear. I understand not everyone's going to love you and respect you for that. I get it. But you don't want those people. And do you know what? I have a really powerful way of framing that for people. It might be helpful. It's yes. not a case of turning up, particularly... Um, for women who can be very sensitive about this but also I really get that men these days it's so confusing on on what women want from a man and yeah. how to be a man and what kind of man you're going to be metrosexual you know heterosexual masculine man testosterone like who are you going to be and and it's it's you know I held the door open for a woman the other day and she went oh thank you so much and I said yeah don't worry I'm happy to hold the door open for you sister and I said guys these days don't know whether they can or not anymore right yeah I had just gone through in front and just not and, and neither of us were slagging him off either no. but the reframe on this um that I just wanted to have is that when you show up to somebody and you've got a particular landscape so I came from a very domestically abusive childhood and as a result I I say to my husband to this day and I wasn't evolved enough as a human being to say this when I was younger but I say to my husband remember the landscape if you shout at me, I'm going to react because that's my landscape. So that's the part. It's not saying, no, you can't shout at me and I'm super sensitive and I hate all that stuff. You don't have to show up as a victim. You can own your landscape powerfully and say, this is the landscape I came from. I'm working on it. And I get that it's not present today, but do remember there'll be triggers in there. Yeah. And if you shout at me or lunge at me, whew, I'm going to react. And you see, as a child, I used to protect my mother as much as I could. So I'm one of those women that don't back off. I yeah, go yeah. in. Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, don't go in on me, Tom, because I'll, I'll, I'll fight you like, back. Yeah, I'll come up to you. And he's 6'4", and I'm 5'6", so of course it looks ridiculous. But I'm like, I'll go and get a step and I'll stand up to you. So don't go there, baby, because that's my landscape. Yeah, and yeah. as soon as I started saying that to him, he stopped pushing it. Yeah. He got it. It's like, yeah, her landscape means she's going to get super triggered if I try to dominate her. She doesn't take domination from a man very well. Yeah, exactly. You got to It's again. So as a guy that's grown up in that world, I can tell you right now, the most confusing shit ever is whether or not you can do stuff like leave doors open and whatever it is. I kind of don't have that issue anymore. And the reason is a couple of years ago, I came to the realization just be myself. Yeah. If someone has an issue with that, that's their issue. Like if someone goes, oh, are you leaving the door open because I'm a woman? I'm like, no, I'd leave the door open if you're a guy or anything else that you want to identify with. It's called being human. Yeah. It's called being human. If you're going to like trivialize a nice thing, then if you're trivializing such a nice thing, my only response to that is like, do you need a hug and who hurt you? Yeah, I know, right? Because if, if you're angry about that kind of stuff, then there's something there that has you feel cynical and angry about it and you're protecting yeah. something. Yeah. Oh, without you know, a doubt. There's a very like, funny story. Years ago, I was on a train and I had been given, I was on my way out to, I was actually going out to Iraq to work in one of the field hospitals as part of the job that I did. And I'd been given a big black military hold all and it was huge to put all my kit in because it was the only bag I was allowed. So they issued these bags and it was empty, but big. And I picked it off the train and was carrying it. And because it was quite a wide bottom bag, I was sort of holding it out from me, which probably made it look heavy. Mm -hmm. And this lovely gentleman came up and went, can I help you with that? <laughs> it was empty. And he picked it up and his arm shot up in the air with the bag. And he sort of looked at me and went, oh, I said, yeah, I'm like, thank you so much for asking. Please ask again, because on this occasion, I didn't need it. But next time I probably yeah. will, especially if it's full. I'll be here next week, five o'clock. All right. <laughs> you know it's it's again it's those nice little things they can do for people and it's fine because believe it or not it's all down tension intentionality and the thing i will say is a guy women can read intentions way quicker than like men can it's they can usually tell when there's a sincerity to it and i've realized that this is not just everyone it just kind of happens from time to time so guys don't lose hope there's still like you just just be your naturally like the thing is if you're a good person good shit happens it's just the way it is if you're if you're going through some stuff go through the stuff yourself it's fine now kind of wanted to go back for a second to um essentially like the how of something works so let's say you're stuck in a crux of like i don't know what's going to happen i feel freaking depressed because there is no hope on the other side 
what do you where do you begin with that mess because again it's not it's like the christmas lights of emotions meaning you got to detangle them in a very strategic way where do you begin oh that's a good one you know because i, I know you can I, use that i can really thank you <laughs> i i can actually really recall that moment of utter frustration i I had um, really cared for my mother-in-law. I'd literally been her 24-hour carer for sort of a, a good uh, 10 days or something prior to her going into hospital. She'd almost died in my arms. Um, I'd done the 999 call when she would had this sudden drop in blood pressure and everything. Turns out she had an internal splenic bleed that none of us could have known about. So, she, you know, it was that kind of typical thing with old people. They have a fall, then they get a little infection, then they seem to pick up and then suddenly they go downhill. So it was terrifying because it wasn't my mother. So, you know, you're like, oh, my God, please don't die in my arms. My husband's yeah. in the Middle East. My sister-in-law's are uh, one was on holiday. The other one was relatively local, but not there. I'm like, I don't want to be responsible for like, you know, as in. And she was saying, don't leave me. She was fitting and saying, don't leave me. It was it was terrifying for us both. So I'd been on this real journey with her, got her into hospital, you know, called the sister-in-law that was close by. And I felt like I had been a very huge part. And it wasn't the first time I'd also cared for my father-in-law when he died. And ultimately what happened was the sisters, um, the sister-in-laws chose to have a very small cremation, which only had them there and my husband and a couple of my uh, mother-in-law's brothers. And I was so hurt by that that I felt that I was going to be allowed to go to the public service with everybody else but I couldn't go to the one where like I'd been her 24-hour care I'd been intimately looking after her but couldn't yeah. say goodbye to her and they were like yeah it's direct family only and I was like googling what's direct family and it was coming up that I was direct family and I was just because of what I made stuff mean back then as well I was so insulted yeah but I felt like I couldn't just privately say goodbye to her because I was very emotional. I didn't want to cry in front of everybody. I of wanted course. to do it in an yeah. intimate setting. And You're that was cool. We're very similar in that sense. It's like, I don't want to cry in front of other people. Like, uh, again, before, just as we're recording this, a couple of like last week, I, I think I told you like one of my friends passed and I went to her, uh, I went to her uh, cremation. Yeah. As soon as I realized there were other people in like the business world that were there with us, I was like, yeah, I can cry up until a certain point. Afterwards, I've got to go be my, by myself because it's very small. It's very intimate. It's a thing that you just don't release. And I think that's actually more to do with the way that we were both raised because you yeah. get taught to be so strong from a young age. You're like, you can only show, quote unquote, weakness, not weakness to cry, by the way, just saying in at that point in your life, you may feel it that way. You can only show that when you're closed off. No one else can take it from you. Well, I always remember there's a, a there's a line in that film. I think it's called Gosford Park, and one of the women's crying because someone's died, and the husband says irritatingly, and it's quite a funny line. But he goes, "Oh Jesus, you're wailing like an Italian. Do shut up." And it's so British, isn't it? That yep. you know, it was so stigmatized to be emotional. So you know, I I didn't want to be over emotional in front of everybody. <clears throat> so I was I, I made that mean quite a lot. And of course, that's just a really important line that I just said, you know, it's always down to what you make it mean, because um, it didn't necessarily mean what I was making it mean. But for me, that's how it was. And I own the fact that I made it mean what I did. And my husband was he'd been out on tour for I think it was so it was July. So what's that seven months at that point? So he was seven months into a year long tour which is quite decent, it's quite dehumanizing. They become very functional about what they're doing. Yeah, you have and, to. Yeah, you have to, it's part of it. And thankfully, because I have been to Iraq myself, like back to that hold all, I actually know that you do become like that. I, you know, I became like that myself, so I recognized it. But nonetheless, he also was very protective of his sisters and trying to be the man of the family. And he was like, whatever they need, they get. I'm like, but what about what I need? You mm. know, and there was just no room for me. Plus, he yeah. just lost his mother. Let's just throw that one in there as well. Oh, that's a huge goes, one. You know, well, what a wanker. No, he actually just lost his mum. He yeah. was on tour. He was, like, frozen for, for, with emotion. He's literally, I can say this as someone who's lost their parent this year. I can tell you right now, losing a parent, holy shit. Like, that was my dad. When I lose my mum, like, I will guarantee this much. You do not cross me on that day. Like, Lord help you the day that you cross me on that day, because I will throw you into the fucking grave next to her. Like, that's just basically the way it's going to be. For him to actually try and go, 
I got to be the man of the house. I got to look after other people. I got to take care of everything. All he's going through is doing what men do, which is suppress down the emotion, deal with the logic, and then come out the other side. So he's not a wanker in the slightest. And anyone that thinks so, fuck you. That's my response to you guys. <laughs> well, I, I get why, because it does raise eyebrows sometimes. So I get that. Yeah. But you know, what he couldn't do is, I, you know, it's like when we get into a partnership, we often believe that person is kind of ours. So we sort of treat them the way we treat ourselves. Yeah. And yeah. what he was doing was minimizing what he wanted and, and, and making it so that everybody else was okay. And that was his job. That's what he does. That, that's what he does as an entire role in life. But of course, for me, that just wasn't. And I remember on the day of the funeral, they're all having lunch together and then went to the cremation. And I ended up accidentally, I went out shopping to get some food in and suddenly found myself in exactly the same aisle in front of the puddings where I used to help her pick a pudding. And Ooh. I just broke down. Yeah, I just broke down. Oh. And it was one of those moments where I couldn't control myself and I'm sobbing in front of the puddings. Like, as if I want them all or something. Or oh, she's like, just, oh, wow. I guess she they told her they didn't have banana pudding and she's just really <laughs> reacting like, strangely wow, to this. Yeah, yeah. She really wanted chocolate pudding or whatever. No, I literally just couldn't keep my shit together. Yeah. And I remember being so raw and I couldn't understand how my best friend uh, was so emotionally far from me in that moment. Anyway, obviously we're still here, but this whole journey took me to a place where you, you said, what's the how? How do you start to work through this? And my point was, I could not work out how my life did not work in that moment and why. I had no concept of how to walk out of this in any way, shape or form. And I wanted to just share that because I think it's really important for people to know that, you know, I started there. I started with, I do not know how to untangle these Christmas lights of emotions. Love that analogy. I think that's probably the best one I've come up with today. That was a really good one. It's a really good one. I'm going to give you that. So the point is, is reach out for help is what I was going to say, because you cannot be objective about something like that when you are emotionally entangled and involved and help, external objective help can begin the process of walking you through it. Okay, so I'm going to qualify this a little bit here because I do know there are people who are listening on this that will be like, I can't afford the extra help. I can't, like right now, life's a complete mess. I don't have the funds, blah, 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 whatever it is. Where would you say and who would you say you'd start with? Because sometimes it could just be a really good friend that you trust and they're like- Oh, it could be a book, right? It could, could be. be a book. But I, I tell you where I would start is I would look up people who do great podcasts and of course I'm going to say that they're probably thinking but genuinely yeah. you know this podcast will talk to one person at least where they'll this will resonate for them because you're right some people can't run out and go and get the best person that they know to sort this out yeah. but actually this is exactly why for example I do these kind of podcasts yeah. and you know um there's people like I'm going to give a shout out to somebody called Poppy Jamie Poppy Jamie runs a podcast called Happy Not Perfect Ooh. And it's because one day when she was younger, she sat up in bed with this sudden realization, I want to be happy, not perfect. And she does this whole mental health around it. And she puts out some really interesting stuff and it's all free. It's all yeah. out there for free. So there are books, there are articles, there are people around you that you can begin to talk. You know, if you're religious, then there might be some kind of religious person that you could lean on, um, you know, and at the end of the day also, People like you and me, for example, I put a lot of content out yeah. for free, you know, on my various social media channels, and I'm always open to a conversation. Yeah. Like, I'll talk to anybody. Now, obviously, <laughs> don't all come in at the same time, but genuinely, I'll talk to somebody, and if they can't afford to work with me, that's irrelevant. I'll still talk to them, because I'll have, I always have an intention to leave them stronger and better than how they started the conversation. Yep. So they'll Even be better than you found them. Yeah, right yeah. exactly so you know there are people out there there are good people who want to help and there's a lot of content out there so start yeah. looking for it definitely That's and what I, would say. what I would say is don't become a junkie or the freemium and here's what I mean by that is don't go to 50 podcasts all talking about the same thing what I suggest is start with one or two find the thing that hits your groove and then do the work Literally yeah just find the person yeah begin like spend twice as long applying what you were just picking up there's actually I, a book called Do the Work by Dr. Nicole Perra, I think it is. Oh, yeah, Le Perra. I Le Perra. literally read that this year. It's one of my favorite books. Right. So good. 
it's a re and it's a it, she explains it so beautifully she's called the holistic psychologist on um impact on, on uh, instagram yeah. but yeah do the work it's called and she walks you through how your beliefs became the way they became she's really easy to listen to she's a fascinating human being herself mm -hmm. who's really stretching the boundaries of what's normal you know she's actually in a three-way relationship as well oh, really I yeah she I thought she was, so that was recent then yeah she recently announced it on her instagram which you know it's like pushing the boundaries of what's normal and 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 actually and and constantly grappling with how she feels about that and why but she's a really great person to listen to for sure so her book is very affordable and really really helpful agreed i will also add this in because there's one thing that um when i was reading her book that came up for me as as bias it was i already know this and here's the thing you might already know it but it doesn't hurt listening to it one more time doing the work yeah, 100%. So, and actually, um, I was on a, having a different conversation the other day with somebody. I was a guest on their show, and this is a really great thing. She talked about the reticular activating um, system and she the game that she plays with her kids for this. So for those of you that don't know, your reticular activating system is the bundle of nerves that sits at the top of your neck, sort of inside uh, sort of your brain stem, essentially, as yeah. it goes into your so head. Right yeah, there. right there, the soft bit right at the top before yeah. your hard skull begins. Yeah. And essentially what that does is it filters out information that's not important to you based on your biases and filters in what's important. And if you want to see how that works, drive down the motorway, play that game we all played as kids. How many blue cars can you see in the next five minutes? Yep. And at the end of it, work out how many white cars or red cars you think might have gone by because you won't have noticed them because you were so focused on blue cars. Even better, because now we live in the, in the world of technology. Check your dash cam or if you're actually a passenger, use your phone. Basically, leave the phone on the side. And as you're driving through for that five minutes, you pick up all the blue cars. Guess how many red and white cars you found or even yellow ones. And then go ahead and count them against the thing because you will actually see something different. And I will add this about the RACD, the reticular activation system, RAS rather than RAC. That's a whole different company. Um, your brain can only hold up to 2,000 pieces of information per second. And there's 72 billion pieces of information per second. Think about why your brain has to filter that out. It's because it can't take it all in. Also, fun little discovery for people that don't know this. Your eyes aren't actually separate to your brain. They are your brain. Like your optic nerve and all this, this is brain matter. So when you say you look into someone's eyes and I can see the windows of your soul, you're saying I can look into your eyes and I can see your brain because right. you are looking directly at brain matter. So that and, should and, give you more. And actually, to that. add to that as well, there's Hell a really yes. great, you know, the 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 um the shitty quote. When I call it a shitty quote, because it's just like the worst quote in the world is seeing is believing. Yeah. Remember, you only you only see what you believe. Yeah. So the idea, the point of mentioning the, the, the game of seeing the cars is just remember you filter out stuff so it isn't actually your fault. You're not a blame. There's nothing wrong with you. Yep. You're seeing information that fits with your belief system. It fits with your biases. So what you want to actually think about doing is stretching your belief system. You know, I, ha I have a client at the moment who loves to beat herself up the whole time. And I said to her recently, I'm like, you've got to choose that you're going to take this on because your wiring is fighting me and it's fighting you. In fact, it's not fighting me. It's only fighting you. You got to choose that you're going to become the gatekeeper of your thoughts. You got to choose that you want the change. Oh yeah. And it's, it's not fun. It is not fun, but I will, by the way, this is something I did find for myself. That I'm actually doing for another friend right now. It's this quote that I got told earlier this year and it's really true. And it's uh, you can't read the bottle from it. You can't read the label from inside the bottle. So what you do, and I've explained this to everyone and I encourage everyone to do this, find a very good friend of yours that knows you and have them write the description of you. Like, how would you describe me? If I was a, inside a bottle and it's like, all right, the bottle's known as adult, how would you describe him? And get them to do it in depth and do the same for them. Because the reality is they can't see how great they are and you can't see how great you are. And the thing is, when you start building that up back and forth between the two of you, every time you feel sad, read it. Because the reality is your brain cannot argue with another person's opinion of you because it's not your own opinion. I mean, you can try and fight it as much as you want, but at the end of the day, you're like, this is just factual of what someone else is seeing of me. Yeah. And it's a great way of actually running with that. Uh, one other thing I would actually add, if you're into hypnosis or any kind of stuff like that, or if you don't know someone that does hypnosis, um, find someone that does, or you can do it yourself if you know what you're doing. 
just record something on your phone where you're reading this out loud in your own voice as what your friend told you. Save it as an MP, like save it as a file. And the cool thing with, I know with iPhones, you can do this. I think you can do it with Androids as well. Set that MP3 as your alarm. Mm, and like have it go like off at like 2.30 in the morning when you're asleep on a low sound. You won't even hear it because it won't wake you up or it won't wake anyone else around you. Um, but what it will do it's almost your brain talking to itself from an outside perspective going, hey, I hear myself. What am I telling? Oh, this is what I'm telling myself. Okay, cool. I need to go do this. So it's something I've been testing out and I've seen results with other people and myself, but it works. Now, this brings me to a very important part of the show uh, that I really like asking. And it's really interesting because we kind of like devolved, not devolved, we've been divulging essentially and exploring what it means to do this. But I kind of want to get a little bit more to the jugular on this. Life has kicked you in the nuts. You're down on the ground. Ladies, lady nuts, I don't really care. It's kicked you between the legs. You're gonna, it's gonna hurt everyone. There's no one that gets kicked between the legs and it doesn't hurt them. You're down. How do you get back up again? How do you stop that? How do you, and by the way, I'm gonna add one more caveat. You got kicked, you physically went down, spiritually you're still stood up, but instead of walking around, it's like, oh, something's fallen, fallen over, let's kick it. So you're being kicked on two sides. How do you turn that around? Great question. And before I answer it, I just want to say it's a really important line for people to hear that thing about recording your own voice. And even when you read something back to yourself that you've said that's positive about you, the most powerful voice that you will ever hear is your own voice, because yep. it's the voice that talks to you all day long and tells you off and bigs you up or, or, you know, gets you out the door or whatever. So that that's uh, just a note on your own voice there. Yeah. Um, how do you get back up? Okay, listen, it starts with choosing it. You, you have to sit in that moment and say, what am I choosing right now? Because if you don't choose it and you're doing it because you feel you have to, because you've got to go and pick somebody up like the kids from school or because your boss said, get your butt to work or whatever it is, then you will just do it resentfully. But if you choose it, if you say in this moment, I'm going to choose to change this. And I think that's what happened to me in 2016. I went, what the actual fuck? I need to change this. I'm choosing to find out now what's going on. I'm choosing to change this if I can. And by consciously making a choice, you are empowered in beginning the journey because it was a choice. Now, sometimes we do it because we have to, but right between that thought of my life doesn't work, I'm an arsehole, I can't do anything right, I'm such a loser, and the reaction to the thought, the feeling, there's a yes. thought and then there's a feeling. And in that in that space, there is a gap and you can choose, am I gonna keep on beating myself up? Am I gonna keep on thrashing myself? Because by the way, that negative voice that says mean things to you, that's learnt behavior. You did not speak to yourself like this when you were born and when you were a toddler. You bigged yourself up. You gave walking a go. Because if you had had that voice going on back then, you probably would have said, I'm not going to bother walking. You look really good at it, but I'll be crap at it. Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't have that driver. You had an innate sense of life, an innate sense of curiosity, an innate intelligence and wisdom of just doing stuff as well. And you know what? It was learnt. And sadly, the truth is that often that voice came from the people that loved us the most and it was their way of loving us by trying to warn us it's that it's dangerous out there but what they actually did was limit us mm -hmm. but just know it's learned so if you're beating yourself up I learned how to do this whose voice am I continuing on here whose voice am I championing championing when I'm bitching at me because it's not your own yeah and if you could just start there by choosing, I'm going to do something about this. That's what I said. That's all I said. I've got to do something about this. I can't live like this anymore. That's what I mean when I say I wasn't truly depressed and that, you know, I still was very driven. And I also, I looked at my child, my son, my, I'd had, I've had seven miscarriages after I had Harry. And I looked at my son and I just thought, you know, what? I do not want to bring him up to be a fucking victim, which I'm being. And I do not want to, I didn't know it then, but I just knew I didn't want to bring him up for his life to not work. And also, you know, I didn't want to bring him up to talk to women the way my husband spoke to me at times. Now, you know, that's a kind of separate subject. But as I said, you know, I definitely helped him, my husband, treat me the way he treated me back then, because occasionally he's rolled his eyes at me 
very occasionally, in fact, I don't know the last time he rolled his eyes at me, but he, he very recently questioned something I'd spent money on for my business. And it was where I bought some information from someone. I bought some time with somebody to get some technical specific information. And he rolled, he sort of went, oh, really that much? And I stopped him in his tracks. And I said, dude, I wasn't asking for your permission or your opinion. And also, can I just say, how dare you? You are heavily invested in the military. You do not walk into battle unprepared. And you walk in highly trained, highly invested in, you know, looked after, clothed, fed, sheltered. Everything is taken care of you. And you are a prized possession for the military. I am looking after myself in my own business. I need to handle this on my own. And I will choose what I will pay for because that is my, me getting battle ready. Yeah. Even though I don't feel that my, my life is a battle, it's just a, it was a comparator. Yeah, so he didn't speak to me like that. And of course, as soon as I explained it to him, and he did, um, so what is it called, an MBA, but it was an MDA. So instead of Masters of Business Administration, it was Masters of Defense Administration. It was very similar. And like, he did one of those in, in, the, in service. So as a result, like how much would that have been? And I brought it up. How much would they have invested in you there? So don't you bitch because I spent a thousand pounds on a very expensive conversation. Like, how dare you? And do you mm. mind? And it, I saw it land. And then I went, and then I carried on. You know, I wasn't making him wrong. I just was like making a point. So that's my point. I no longer let him speak to me that way. And when he does, I point out how it doesn't work. And he goes, oh yeah, and backs off. It's, we're always catching each other in our own patterns. And sometimes it's just having that loving voice going, no, you, this is down to boundaries as well. It's literally, as you set that boundary down, you hold your ground. Yeah, 100%. So. I, I, and of I, course, you can only do that when you value you. Yes. Whereas when you don't value yourself, you're always defensive. And defensive usually crumbles very quickly into a 13-year-old having a tantrum. We'll just ask Or younger. Them. Yeah, or yeah. Younger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, depending, I, depending I obviously have 13 stuck in my head for some reason. And, you know, I used to go home and visit my mum and within 20 minutes, I'd be that 13 year old. But um, but not anymore. But yeah, it's very much, you know, we all have different ages where we have different frustrations and where constantly as an adult, you know, the first 20 years happen to you and then you spend the rest of your life dealing with that first 20 years trying to make yeah. sense. Of it. Oh, definitely. It was like the whole thing is like your child, if I remember correctly, the quote is uh, childhood happens and you spend the rest of your life dealing with your childhood. Um, but I was going to say there is a natural reason why 13 is such a key, re- a key age, by the way. That's when your hormones really start to kick in and you start yeah. thinking far more independently. It's like the first wave of where you start to escalate. Because for men, as you start hitting 11, 12, 13 plus for men, like between 13 and 25, men are savages in that age. <laughs> the reason is because we need war. Like our bot, like because of our ancestry and people can fight me all day on this. Look, you can't fight biology bring it, okay? Try and undo a million year old system that is ingrained in your head, don't care how long we've been around here, but it's, just, it's an ancient system that is adapting to a new way of living. Well, That's- and also it's, it's because your males are testosterone driven and testosterone fights for significance. It's built mm-hmm. into you because you want to be the top, you know, the top no. uh, Top stallion. dog, so to say, essentially. Yeah, top dog, top stallion. You know, that's what you're after. And it's very, very normal. And when you have to crush it or beat it up, you know, and, and it can come out in, in, in healthier ways for sure. But oh, yeah. yeah, you're right. It is biology to a point. Yeah, it's, it's the reason we push back is because we want to see how far can we push the envelope. I mean, me and my dad are a classic example of this. Like the amount of times that we've, I've said this multiple times, like me and my dad had a very complex relationship, meaning in the sense of at times, we both loved each other very much, but we would lock horns verbally. Like it never came to blows, but there were times when it almost did. But one of us had to be rational and had to walk out of that. Usually it was me walking out of it because I was like, I don't want to do this. It's not a thing. You know, therapy helps a little bit more. You need to go do your shit, go do that. But the thing I'm getting at here is 13 is a key age. That's actually a great place to look back exactly where your starting point is. If you're like, I don't know where this began, start at 13, work backwards. Uh, so that's one. The other thing I wanted to ask you very quickly, because we've only got a couple of minutes left with you, unfortunately. I mean, I can talk to you all day. Um, one of the things I really want to ask is there's always a time in our life, like as we said, books, you gave a couple of recommendations. Of course, got Dr. Nicole LaPera's book, uh, Do the Work. Um, what was the podcast? It was like Happy Not Perfect. I think that was the yeah, other one. Yeah, Poppy Jamie's Happy Not Perfect podcast. Perfect. That's a really good one. She's got, she interviews loads of experts. So you can literally go through, it's like a catalog of stuff you could have a look Perfect. at. Perfect. I was going to say, if you were to pick three books or uh, people to listen to, who would they be? 
Oh man. I'm gonna okay. give you three. Like you don't have to give three books and give three. No, 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 I like it. I like it. I um discounting so book, the two that we started. So there's with. a book here, Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell nice. Maltz. And look, you can see how many markers I've got in that. Right. Between before we continue on that, get the original version, not the updated version. As much as I love Dan Candy and Matt Fury, and Lord knows I know both of those men very well and I love them very dearly. The original version is actually the better version. Okay, so just so people know, um, Psycho-Cybernetics was written by somebody who was a plastic surgeon, and he got super curious that when he maybe like popped somebody's ears back into uh, from sticking out to in place or a disfigurement on their face and he normalized their face, he noticed that it wasn't just the disfigurement that changed, but the entire personality changed. And he got really curious as to why, but he also noticed that sometimes he'd have a very beautiful duchess, for example, who had the background and the, what would be perceived as all the trappings. And she'd have a bump on her nose that he'd get rid of, but she wouldn't change. And yeah. he, he wanted to know why. So he did a deep dive into the self image and the deep dive, your self-image is literally a blueprint for how you function in the world. So Psycho-Cybernetics, I think, is a great first book to dive into to begin to see yourself. I absolutely would recommend Do the Work by Dr. Nicole Perry. Oh, no, we're, we're discounting the ones we've already mentioned. Oh, okay. So there's like right. three others. So it's like those original, and then we've got Maxwell Maltz, and you've got two more. I would go with something like Neville Goddard, who is a writer from the turn of the century, Neville Goddard literally was a man who totally understood things like, uh, he's written a book, it's really short called Feeling is the Secret. And he talks about how your emotions drive everything. Anything by Ma uh, Neville Goddard is worth a read. He yep. is a prolific author, was like long before his time. I dive into all his stuff. I find him really fascinating. Excellent. And then um, I have another one, it's just here. So the other one is anything by um, Robert A. Russell. And I have a little book here that I'm reading at the moment called You Can Be Prosperous. And it's nice. really, it's not about money. It no. focuses on money, but prosperity comes in so many forms in our life. And he actually draws a lot of comparisons between God and Jesus and how Jesus was kind of like a master manifester mm. and actually had kind of sussed out how God was kind of source energy. So it's a fascinating read. I mean, that's my personal take on what's been said. Other awesome. people may feel differently, but I picked that book up because one of the reviews said I became a millionaire after reading this book. And I was like, oh, I'm reading that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, those would be my Robert A. Russell. You too can be prosperous, psycho-cybernetics and anything at all by Neville Goddard. Excellent choices. Absolutely love it. And guys, please head on over to thepollybateman.com. Link will be in the description. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And as we said, listen back to this episode, pick up all the pieces, start untangling the Christmas lights that are basically your internal self blueprint where you're screwing yourself up. And if you do need to have a chat, please head on over to Polly's website, see if you can get booked in as well. And if you can work with her, work with her, because I guarantee you'll actually see a massive difference. I mean, one conversation will help you shift things, Working with her in 90 days will completely transform the way you think about things. And I can tell you that just specifically because it takes about 90 days for a belief and those Christmas lights to be untangled. With that being said, Polly, thank you so much for being here today and sharing so openly and full of heart. And guys, I will see you. Uh, have a great weekend. I'll see you next week as we are on the last countdown for the last seven episodes before we actually wrap up. Take care, guys. Bye.